Amen. All right. Thanks for coming up this morning. Yeah. <laughs>
welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. That's a strong identification that Jesus is making with us as his followers. Since whoever welcomes you welcomes Jesus and God the Father, you are actually a standing, a representative for Jesus and for God, and perhaps the only Jesus and God, quote-unquote, that some people will ever know in a sense. Now, lest your heads swell with pride and your chest puff out with arrogance, the rest of the chapter warns you what kind of reception you will receive while you're out there being or representing Jesus to the world. So do you know what you can expect to receive by way of treatment from others? According to verses 16 through 25 earlier in this chapter, you can expect to receive suffering, rejection, and death. Jesus says, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. They will flog you and drag you and deliver you up. Some of you they will put to death, he says. And you will be hated, not by some, by all, for my name. Whoever does not take up his or her cross and follow me is not worthy of me. A cross is not merely a sacrifice, my friends, the way we think of it. A cross is a means of death. Jesus didn't sacrifice his time or money, or his loving effort on the cross. No, he died on it. He sacrificed his life. So I'm guessing that both the upside and the downside of your call as a disciple of Jesus Christ is more than you thought or bargained for. The highs are higher and the lows are lower. On the upside, you receive power to change people's lives for the better in dramatic fashion while you represent God to them. On the downside, because of all that, you will suffer, you will be rejected, and you will die. If not literally, at least in a metaphorical sense. So now it's time to talk about reward. Is there a reward for any of this? And if so, what is it? The last verses of chapter 10 are Jesus' addressing of precisely that. Verse 41, will receive a prophet's reward. Will receive the reward of the righteous. Verse 42, none of these will lose their reward. But it just says it here. It doesn't spell out what it is. Jesus talks a lot about rewards here in Matthew's gospel especially in the Sermon on the Mount. Rejoice and be glad, he says, for your reward is great in heaven. When you give alms, when you pray, when you fast, do it in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Still never really spells it out, though. What exactly is this reward? Neither does that famous encouraging word from 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore be ye steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Well, how not? Tell me. Many Christians might be inclined to guess, to speculate, to believe that the reward is salvation, heaven, eternal life. And that's a good guess. I think many of us imagine that's the case. 
I have to struggle here and now. I have to face trial and tribulation, suffering and rejection for trying to do what's right. And it only gets worse the more faithful I become, the more faithful I try to be. But it'll be all right one day. I'll be rewarded one day with my crown up in heaven where I'll behold the face of the Lord in my Father's house where there are many mansions. There's only one problem with that, my friends, is that salvation, heaven, eternal life, are not a reward for your works, your labors, your faithfulness, your discipleship. All of that. The New Testament makes abundantly clear time and time and time again is a gift, a free gift bestowed utterly by God's grace and mercy apart from any works or merits you achieved or did not achieve for that matter. So that throws another monkey wrench into it, doesn't it? If salvation is a free gift of God's grace to all who believe apart from how they have morally lived their lives, what then is the reward of this passage and others which seems to be contingent upon faithful discipleship, faithfully following Christ? All of us would like to think that we love and serve God selflessly, that we love and serve our neighbors out of pure altruism without any thought of a payoff, a reward, or return of some sort on our investment. And on our best days, at our most noble moments, perhaps that is true, to a degree. But I rather suspect that for the vast majority of us, there comes a point when you say, surely there is some form of blessing, some form of reward of recompense to give my life and my struggle meaning and purpose. What is the reward of the prophet? What is the reward of the righteous? What is the reward of the disciple? One final monkey wrench. Please notice that the rewards in this text, in this passage, are not for you. They are for those who receive those who welcome you. You, in this passage, are the disciple, the follower of Christ who is sent out. Sent out with power and a message. Sent out to turn the world upside down and help free people from bondage and oppression. Sent out, too, as a lamb in the midst of wolves, expecting to receive maltreatment, rejection, abuse, and some form of death. So, in this context, Whoever welcomes you welcomes Jesus and the God who sent him. And that person or those people will receive a prophet's reward because they have welcomed a prophet, you, in the name of that prophet. Those people will receive the reward of the righteous because they have welcomed a righteous person, you, in the name of that righteous person. These folks will not lose their reward because they have given a cup of cold water to you because you are the one who bears the name disciple. They are rewarded because they have welcomed you, because they have received you, because they have provided for you, because they have given you respite and relief, hospitality and generosity. In short, others are rewarded because of
because you have been around, they are rewarded. Because you have power, they have been the recipient. Because you have been around, the sick have been healed, the dead have been raised. Because you have been around, the lepers have been cleansed, the demons have been cast out. Because you have been around, the very kingdom of God itself has come near. Because you have been around, a kind smile has been flashed. Encouraging words have been spoken. Financial assistance has been provided. A helping hand has been extended and a supporting shoulder has been lent. Because you have been around, unconditional acceptance and love have been embraced. Because you have been around, blessing is in the building. Blessing is in their personal space and in the very atmosphere itself. Because you are the kind of husband or wife you are, the kind of mother or father you are, grandparents you are, sibling you are, friend you are, your children and grandchildren, your friends and spouses and siblings are blessed and rewarded. With every mouth you feed, and every diaper you change, with every temper tantrum you soothe, and every wheelchair you push, with every body you bathe and clothe, and every piece of laundry you wash and fold, every life you protect and serve, every time you speak up and advocate for those who have no power, every wedding you finance, every charitable gift you proffer, every protest you march in, every wayward child you are patient with, every grace and forgiveness you extend to those who think and speak and act foolishly. People are blessed and rewarded and they encounter Jesus and God. Because you so often serve and give without reward or affirmation, those whom you serve are rewarded and they are affirmed. Reverend Liddy Bardo wrote in the Christian Century, because we are so familiar with Matthew 25's appearance of Jesus in the so-called least of these, those who are hungry and lonely and imprisoned and outcast, we are lulled into thinking he only appears in the form of our neighbor in need. And so we forget about Matthew 10 here where Jesus appears as a disciple empowered to go forth. Christ is not only visible in the other, she says, in people outside of ourselves, we can also see him in us. When we look in the mirror, we will see his face looking back at us. Jesus is in you, working through you. And for some folk, you may be the only tangible form of an intangible God that they ever encounter. And so your reward, your reward is just that. You represent God in this world. You represent Jesus in the eyes of somebody else. God sees that. God acknowledges that. God is pleased. And God is honored. What exactly is your reward? Amen. All right. Thanks for coming up this morning. Yeah. <laughs>
Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for who you are and all that you do for us and all that you mean to us. We praise you for the beauty of this particular day, this beautiful summer day in your creation. We thank you for this opportunity to worship you once again in spirit and truth and to gather among your people and share our lives with each other. We thank you for this Independence Day holiday weekend as we celebrate our nation and are reminded of all its benefits. Um, speak to us once again through your word and this holy supper of your great love for us and all of humankind. Uh, speak to us now, Lord Jesus, that word which you see that we need to be to, to hear and to receive, to be reminded once again of your great and high calling on our lives. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> My sermon text for today is the gospel lesson, namely Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. You can follow along. It's printed there in your bulletin. Uh, the word reward is mentioned three different times times in two verses, verses 41 and 42. Reward, reward, reward. So my sermon title for today is, What Exactly Is Your Reward? What exactly is your reward? This text that we have before us today is the conclusion of Matthew chapter 10, the entire chapter subject being discipleship namely what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It is an enlightening and challenging text because most of us assume that all we need to do in order to follow Jesus is simply to confess him as Lord and Savior and try to be as nice as we can to other people. And most of the time that is contingent upon them being nice to us in return. And if that's not the case, then, well, then all bets are off. This chapter is far more demanding than any one of us would guess. Rather than Jesus saying simply, go out and be nice, go out and be compassionate even, he says, I give you authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and sickness. So therefore you are to go out and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. And preach as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand or has come near. So rather than going out and saying, bless your heart, and giving someone some spare change or a few extra dollars, or saying, I'll pray for you, but never really doing it. We are to go out and reverse people's lives, change their fundamental circumstances, transform our society and our world and realize that because we embody the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, in our very presence, that kingdom has come near because we have come near. As our opening verse 40 states, whoever welcomes or receives you welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. That's a strong identification that Jesus is making with us as his followers. Since whoever welcomes you welcomes Jesus and God the Father, you are actually a stand-in 
a representative for Jesus and for God, and perhaps the only Jesus and God, quote-unquote, that some people will ever know in a sense. Now, lest your heads swell with pride and your chest puff out with arrogance, the rest of the chapter warns you what kind of reception you will receive while you're out there being or representing Jesus to the world. So do you know what you can expect to receive by way of treatment from others? According to verses 16 through 25 earlier in this chapter, you can expect to receive suffering, rejection, and death. Jesus says, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. They will flog you and drag you and deliver you up. Some of you they will put to death, he says. And you will be hated, not by some, by all. For my name, whoever does not take up his or her cross and follow me is not worthy of me. A cross is not merely a sacrifice, my friends, the way we think of it. A cross is a means of death. Jesus didn't sacrifice his time or money or his loving effort on the cross. No, he died on it. He sacrificed his life. So I'm guessing that both the upside and the downside of your call as a disciple of Jesus Christ is more than you thought or bargained for. The highs are higher and the lows are lower. On the upside, you receive power to change people's lives for the better in dramatic fashion while you represent God to them. On the downside, because of all that, you will suffer, you will be rejected, and you will die if not literally, at least in a metaphorical sense. So now it's time to talk about reward. Is there a reward for any of this? And if so, what is it? The last verses of chapter 10 are Jesus' addressing of precisely that. Verse 41, will receive a prophet's reward. Will receive the reward of the righteous. Verse 42, none of these will lose their reward. But it just says it here. It doesn't spell out what it is. Jesus talks a lot about rewards here in Matthew's gospel, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. Rejoice and be glad, he says, for your reward is great in heaven. When you give alms, when you pray, when you fast, do it in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Still never really spells it out, though. What exactly is this reward. Neither does that famous encouraging word from 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore be ye steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Well, how not? Tell me. Many Christians might be inclined to guess, to speculate, to believe that the reward is salvation. Heaven eternal life. And that's a good guess. I think many of us imagine that's the case. I have to struggle here and now. I have to face trial and tribulation, suffering and rejection for trying to do what's right. And it only gets worse the more faithful I become, the more faithful I try to be. But it'll be all right one day. 
I'll be rewarded one day with my crown up in heaven where I'll behold the face of the Lord in my Father's house where there are many mansions. There's only one problem with that, my friends, is that salvation, heaven, eternal life, are not a reward for your works, your labors, your faithfulness, your discipleship. All of that, the New Testament makes abundantly clear time and time and time again, is a gift, a free gift bestowed utterly by God's grace and mercy apart from any works or merits you achieved or did not achieve for that matter. So that throws another monkey wrench into it, doesn't it? If salvation is a free gift of God's grace to all who believe, apart from how they have morally lived their lives, what then is the reward of this passage and others which seems to be contingent upon faithful discipleship, faithfully following Christ? All of us would like to think that we love and serve God selflessly, that we love and serve our neighbors out of pure altruism without any thought of a payoff, a reward, or return of some sort on our investment. And on our best day, at our most noble moments, perhaps that is true to a degree. But I rather suspect that for the vast majority of us, there comes a point when you say, surely there is some form of blessing, some form of reward of recompense to give my life and my struggle meaning and purpose. What is the reward of the prophet? What is the reward of the righteous? What is the reward of the disciple? One final monkey wrench. Please notice that the rewards in this text, in this passage, are not for you. They are for those who receive those who welcome you. You, in this passage, are the disciple, the follower of Christ who is sent out, sent out with power and a message, sent out to turn the world upside down and help free people from bondage and oppression, sent out too as a lamb in the midst of wolves, expecting to receive maltreatment, rejection, abuse, and some form of death. So in this context, Whoever welcomes you welcomes Jesus and the God who sent him. And that person or those people will receive a prophet's reward because they have welcomed a prophet, you, in the name of that prophet. Those people will receive the reward of the righteous because they have welcomed a righteous person, you, in the name of that righteous person. These folks will not lose their reward because they have given a cup of cold water to you because you are the one who bears the name disciple. They are rewarded because they have welcomed you, because they have received you, because they have provided for you, because they have given you respite and relief, hospitality and generosity. In short, others are rewarded because of Because you have been around, they are rewarded. Because you have power, they have been the recipient. Because you have been around, the sick have been healed, 
The dead have been raised. Because you have been around, the lepers have been cleansed, the demons have been cast out. Because you have been around, the very kingdom of God itself has come near. Because you have been around, a kind smile has been flashed. Encouraging words have been spoken. Financial assistance has been provided. A helping hand has been extended and a supporting shoulder has been lent. Because you have been around, unconditional acceptance and love have been embraced. Because you have been around, blessing is in the building. Blessing is in their personal space and in the very atmosphere itself. Because you are the kind of husband or wife you are, the kind of mother or father you are, grandparents you are, sibling you are, friend you are, your children and grandchildren, your friends and spouses and siblings are blessed and rewarded. With every mouth you feed and every diaper you change, with every temper tantrum you soothe and every wheelchair you push, with every body you bathe and clothe and every piece of laundry you wash and fold. Every life you protect and serve. Every time you speak up and advocate for those who have no power. Every wedding you finance. Every charitable gift you proffer. Every protest you march in. Every wayward child you are patient with. Every grace and forgiveness you extend to those who think and speak and act foolishly. People are blessed and rewarded. Rewarded and they encounter Jesus and God. Because you so often serve and give without reward or affirmation. Those whom you serve are rewarded and they are affirmed. Reverend Liddy Bardo wrote in the Christian Century. Because we are so familiar with Matthew 25's appearance of Jesus in the so-called least of these, those who are hungry and lonely and imprisoned and outcast, we are lulled into thinking he only appears in the form of our neighbor in need. And so we forget about Matthew 10 here where Jesus appears as a disciple empowered to go forth. Christ is not only visible in the other, she says, in people outside of ourselves, we can also see him in us. When we look in the mirror, we will see his face looking back at us. Jesus is in you, working through you, and for some folk, you may be the only tangible form of an intangible God that they ever encounter. And so your reward, your reward is just that. You represent God in this world. You represent Jesus in the eyes of somebody else. God sees that. God acknowledges that. God is pleased. And God is honored. What exactly is your reward? 